All right, so if you will, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want to talk to you today, I want to preach a little while on uh, Saul's rejection of God's commands of him walking out what God had called him to walk out and the subsequent rejection of Saul by the Lord. I want to make a distinction today between sacrifices and obedience, between religious religiosity and heartfelt devotion to God, to Yahweh. And I want to, I want to kind of try to paint a picture of two different types of believers, two different types of people who are religious, whether it is true religion or whether it is a religious spirit or a false religion that drives you and what's the results of, of both of those. If I had to give today's sermon a title, it would be uh, the half-hearted Christian. The half-hearted Christian, or you can say the half-hearted believer. Okay. Now, I don't want this to be a sermon where uh, anyone is getting beat down for not measuring up. Uh, although there will be some, some sharp rebuke in here, probably, if nothing else, just as I read the text. Okay. Um, so sometimes the rod might drop, but today I want, the, I want the sharp rebuke to lead to a place merely of examination, of, of reflection of who you are and what type of relationship or lack thereof do you have with God. What, if we take an examination, if we take stock of our life and we look at our life, what does it indicate about the reality of our relationship with God and our, our reconciliation with the Father, okay? Our unity with Him. When we look at this story here of, of, of Saul and this, uh, this thing that he did, or rather he didn't do, I want to I get a few lessons, and then I want to see if we can apply it to our lives and see how it, would, how it would lead us to think differently about who we are and to act differently and to walk differently in our lives, okay? So with that being said, let's stand to our feet uh, for the reading and the hearing of God's Word. I'm only going to read a portion of this, and then we will uh, break it down and try to unpack it a little bit, okay? Now, to set up the reading, God tells Saul to destroy everything, that he is to wipe out the Amalekites, all the men, women, children, infants, donkeys, everything, completely destroy it, and we'll touch on that briefly, but this is what it says that, that uh, Saul did. So Saul, this is verse 4, so Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim. 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the uh, king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. So I want to bring to your, your, your memory the issue that 
the prophet Malachi had with Israel when he was writing his book and when the last prophetic word came forth. And it was that they were bringing the, the worst of their flock, the worst of their offerings, and they were giving those things to, to God. And it was, uh, un, it was not pleasing to God. It was an abomination to him. He was sick of it. He told them to stop bringing it. They brought the least of all of their flocks, the ones that were lame, the ones that were crippled, and so on and so forth. Basically, they gave God the, the least that they could possibly give God and still appear, at least in outward appearance, to be doing what God said to do. It was a half-hearted obedience. Okay, These were half-hearted uh, believers. And in Malachi, we see this prophesying of this great judgment that would come against the house of Israel because they were bringing half-hearted sacrifices and they had half-hearted allegiance to Yahweh. They were not fulfilling the word of God like they were supposed to be fulfilling it. It was a heart issue. Here is what we have on the other side of this. And I want to read the first couple of verses there because it gives you the explicit commands of God that uh, Saul received. Listen to what it says in verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, Samuel the prophet was there to anoint Saul a king over the people of Israel. Okay, He was going to be the king. He was going to be anointed, set apart by God to be king. It goes on. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. So he says, I'm going to anoint you king over the people of Israel. Now, since I'm going to anoint you, since you're going to be king over the people of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Receive this word. Because there's one thing for sure. The king of Israel, the king of the people of God, must be all about God's word. For it is the infallible truth laid out by God through which God's people are to be governed. For listen to the words of the Lord. Here's the, here's the Lord's words. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I have noted what uh, Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way <clears throat> when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do Here's the explicit command. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. The command was to utterly destroy everything. Everything was to be laid waste. Everything was to be completely destroyed. Now, as a 20-second side note, this is one of the, the, the arguments against Christianity. Uh, you've probably heard this if you are aware of any issues brought against uh, Christianity, if you listen to debates, the atheistic debates and things like that. They say, what type of God is this that would kill infants and babies and men and women and kill everybody? Well, first of all, and this is going to be short. We can talk about this again another time. First of all, God has the right to do with his creation whatever he desires to do with it. Okay, that's number one. God has the right over the creation to take a baby, to take a child, to take whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. Anybody that would suggest otherwise has little respect for God and far too high a view of man. Okay, Because the only way that you could shake your fist at God in that would, would be to say that how dare you do something to this person that does not deserve this. You see that high view of man and this low view of God. One, God is perfect. He is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. He never is unjust. He's always just. And two, all, all people are born in, with a sin nature. They're all born in sin. And God has the right. They don't have the right to live. God has the right to take any life he wants to. But secondly is missing the reason why all of this was commanded by uh, well, through Samuel, by God, to Saul. It was that the unclean things, those things that were not of God, that were fighting against God and against God's people, were to be completely eradicated so that they couldn't infest God's people and God's truth any longer. 
The utter destruction was for the purification of the people of Israel, that they could no longer come against the people of Israel, that they could no longer infect and unleaven the whole lump because of this sin, because of this corruption, because of the false gods. This whole culture was corrupt. It was a false worshiping culture. So they were to be completely annihilated by Saul. It was a protective measure for God's glory and for his people. So he says, kill and destroy everything. There is to be nothing left except those who bow to me and those who love me. Namely, the people of Israel were to wipe them all out. So Saul summoned the people. Here's what Saul did. Saul summoned the people, numbered them in, in uh, Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. He goes in. He, uh, he destroys the Amalekites. He lays waste. But there's a problem. He does not do what God called him to do. God told him destroy everything. Strike uh, the, uh, the Amalekites. Strike the leaders. Take out the king. Take out the women. All men. All women. Everything. Completely destroy everything. We learn from the text that he didn't do that. It says, and he took uh, Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. So he didn't kill all the men, did he? He saved one. At least one, I think probably more. But he saved the king of the Amalekites, and he set him to the side, and he captured him alive. Wonder why he might have done that. As a bargaining chip, as a power play. It was a power play. Now, what we're going to see is that Saul makes decisions after he clearly has the word of God, after he clearly has the revelation that was given to him by the prophet in the word of God, thus says the Lord. He clearly has instructions on how he is to live his life and how he is to proceed with this mission that God has, has put him on and has placed him on. But he avoids and sets aside those clear instructions to do it the way that he thinks that it would probably be done better. Does this ring a bell? All throughout Scripture, this happens. All throughout your life and my life, doesn't this happen? God says, this is how you need to do it. And we say, well, I like this part. That's pretty cool. That would make me look really good. But this over here, I don't know about that, God. How about we just tweak this thing a little bit? This makes way more sense, doesn't it, God? And then we do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. And what happens every single time? Devastation. Utter failure. Uh, it's just humiliation. Backlash. It reminds me of the Galatians text that says, Those who reap to the Spirit will, uh, those who sow to the Spirit will reap <coughs> eternal life. Sorry about that. Those who sow to the flesh will reap death. Where, where do you sow? Where do you work? Where do you toil? What is your longings? Where do you put the effort in? Obeying God, pursuing after the things of the Spirit, being spiritually disciplined and, and, and reading God's Word, listening to the Spirit, and following Him where He, he is calling you to go, or th saying, well, that doesn't really feel good. I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll do that. And what, even in all the texts of Scripture, what is it nearly always about? Power and money money and power influence wealth you know you, you read about the story of abraham and sarah and her making so god told them i'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore well they got older and they started doubting god's word and so they disobeyed instead of just waiting and and allowing god to do what god was going to do Sarah says, look, I want you to take Hagar and I want you to have a baby with her because God obviously has fell asleep on the job. Listen, Abraham, if we're going to make this happen, I know what God said, but maybe we need to help him out a little bit. Go in here and lay with my servant Hagar and let's just get it done already, okay? And if that sounds crazy to you, one, it is. <laughs> But two, you need to understand the cultural context here is that the lineage was so important. If, the, if they didn't have a child, then the name died and the whole line died. And one, the promises of God would fall apart and they would come to nothing. And Abraham would, would come to nothing as well because his line wouldn't carry on. So Sarah thought she had a better plan. And uh, now we have um, Ishmael and, and everything that comes through his descendants and, and all of that. 
So bottom line is, is that when we think that we want to do it our way, and we think that even the things that we do, we do for good reasons, then we find that it brings about chaos and destruction and, and all, all, all types of, of things. It says here, he said, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. I want you to watch. You see the parallel there between Malachi and what Saul did here. The parallel is, the, 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 um, the connection here, is that they would not sacrifice those things that were the best because they wanted to keep them for themselves. Okay? This was a sacrifice in many ways. So the, the people of the Amalekites who were against the Lord, the men, the women, the children, the oxen, the donkeys, the sheep, everything was to be completely destroyed, wiped out because of the sin of the people, because of the sin of the nation, because of their rebellion against God. This is a picture of what happens to those who rebel against God. They don't make it, okay? And it was, in a sense, a sacrifice unto God that they were to be laid waste. And so what Saul does, he says, well, I don't want to get... Imagine this. Saul says he's, he's got all the sheep there. He's got all the oxen there. He's got all the, the, the stuff there that he's supposed to, to slaughter. One, let me take a little, another 10-second side note. How amazing is it that Saul didn't have that big of a problem killing the children and the infants and the women? But he was like, but these donkeys, man, look at that donkey, man. That donkey is nice. You know, kill the kids, whatever. Man, this oxen is sweet. Look at that, you know. I wonder how many horsepower that sucker's got, you know. I mean, so this is, you see how twisted this man is. Why, what made him so twisted? It was the fact that he was going to gain, uh, that he was going to gain acknowledgement and fame in the sight of the people. Why? Because he was bringing loot back, right? He was bringing wealth back to the nation of Israel. He was thinking about the money. So he saves the oxen for himself. He looks at these oxen. He looks at these sheep. He looks at all these good things. And he thinks, this is crazy. Why would I kill these things? You know, I know God said to, but he had to be like, he just woke up. He was in a bad mood, right? This is crazy. This is so wasteful. Why would we waste these oxen? This is crazy. Look, load them up. Let's take them with us, right? And so he has a better way. And what is it about? We find out that it's about uh, swaying the people. It's about a name for himself. We find out it's about wealth. He, he receives these things. It's about money, power, respect, authority, those types of things. And he sets aside the word of God. And so he says all of these things, all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So not only did he keep the good for himself, he, he slaps God in the face with this half-hearted sacrifice, this half-hearted laying down of things that were of value to them. How, you, do you really think that God needs the sacrifice of bulls and goats and sheep, right? It is a demonstration of our faith and our love and our understanding that it is God who provides us with sustenance. It is God who provides us with that which we need, not money, not the calves, not the lambs. And listen, you might say, well, how far off is this from me? This has nothing to do with me. I have no lambs. I have no goats. Well, some of you probably have goats, but I'm not sacrificing them, right? Well, listen, let me bring it into 2021 for you that oftentimes we think that what we need are the things of this world, that that's what's really going to do it for us. And so God is calling us to live a certain way in the Scripture. God is calling us to um, walk out a certain way, to walk by the Spirit, to gather together with the saints, to spend time with the Lord, to pray without ceasing, to love your neighbor, to love your brothers, to show honor to one another, outdo one another in honoring one another, to be humble, to be all these things, right? He's calling us to live a certain way, 
to be conformed to the image of Christ. And sometimes that's just weird. Sometimes it, it, it's not beneficial to us in the flesh, it seems like, right? So God is calling you to, when you see your neighbor who's in need, don't just run your mouth about, oh, go and be blessed. Let me pray for you, brother. You know, we, how many times, right? You've got, a, you've got money in the bank. You've got the means to help. And it's somebody who's legitimately in help. You know, they need your help, whether it be with a bill or whether it be with, you know, repairing a car. You've got three cars. All their cars broke down. They need to get back and forth to work. You've got three, but you're not willing to let them borrow it or they might scratch it, whatever. And so, but what we'll do is we'll say, hey, can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for you for that. All right. Well, stop praying for me and let me borrow your car for a week. You know what I'm saying? And I'm serious, right? And so we want to hold on to what we got, right? How about this? How about the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints or some are in the habit of doing, but make sure you are spurring meeting to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to, to be drawing together, to be building relationships, right? So how many times have I heard this? You don't think I hear this. You're crazy. I hear this. How many times have I heard this? Why, I, I missed you at church on Sunday. Why didn't you gather with the saints, man? We had a great time worshiping. We got in the word of God. We opened it up. We prayed together. We were holding each other accountable, encouraging one another. You can do this in Christ. You can do this. Oh, well, me and my wife needed to get away on a little trip because we needed some time together. That's what we needed. No, you need to obey the word of God. And if that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. That's what the Word of God says. You cannot fit in what you think would be better and despise what God says in His Holy Word. So God says you need to be in the Word. You need to be ready in season and out of season to be able to give an answer for the faith that you have, for the hope that you have inside of you. You need to be studying God's Word. You need to know God's Word. You need to be training your children up. You say, oh, well, you know, my, my kid, he's really into sports. He's really not into this Bible thing, and so we've got all of this going on. Uh, you know, we would have been at church with you guys, but we had this tournament. Man, that hits me. We would have been in the Word of God, but, man, my favorite show was on. And so how many times do we sacrifice the things that God has commanded us to sacrifice because we, we wanted or thought we needed something else in place of that? And then what do we find every single time? A week, two weeks, a month, two months, a year down the road, we're looking back on it after we've experienced utter devastation. And we go, why did I put these things before God? Why did I put these things before God? Well, not to walk all the way through the scripture because I want to show you some things here at the back end of this. But let's continue on just for a minute. It says the word of the Lord. So he, 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 did, he was willing to kill all the, the things that he didn't really need anyway. And he kept all the things that he wanted. He, he padded his flesh. Okay. But he, but he uh, starved his spirit. Right? He was not walking by the Spirit. He was walking according to the flesh. He saw the good things. He's like, I want these things. He knew the spiritual things. He knew what God had said. And he said, the Spirit's not all that big of a deal to me. I want the fleshly things. He's going to pay for it. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. And this is what God said. Now, listen. I know you think, oh, we're in New Testament now. We're not in Old Testament anymore. But let me tell you right now, the law of Christ it assumes all of the Old Testament principles in every way. So every principle, you say, well, we're free from the law, the written code, the specifics. Even if I agree with you in that, what I'm telling you is, is that all of the principles, which are deeper than the specifics of the written code, are now applied to your life. So as where it was written, thou shalt not commit murder, I say unto you that anybody who hates his brother in his heart has already committed murder. That Jesus Christ gets down up under everything. And so all the principles are still there. So you think, well, I'm in the New Testament now. I've been forgiven in Christ. That stuff doesn't, that stuff doesn't apply to me anymore. Absolutely it does. This is how it makes God feel when we uh, know what his word is and we choose uh, actively and uh, knowingly to do something else. 
You say, well, it's cool if I just, I need to rest today. So I'm not going to go and gather with the saints. I need to rest today and, get, and, and just unplug. So instead of getting in God's word and spending time in meditation and praying and seeking God in the spirit, I'm just going to veg out and watch Netflix all day. I've done that before. And you know what happens at the end of the day when you needed to rest, but you've watched Netflix and filled your soul with garbage all day long instead of the wholesome word of God? then you are absolutely overwhelmed and exhausted after you've watched all of this garbage and let it come into your soul. You're not, you're not, you don't have more peace. I mean, tell me I'm lying. Am I lying? No, you don't have more peace. You don't have more comfort. You don't have more knowledge of God's word. No, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Well, listen to how God feels about it. And this is for, this, the principle here is still for today. Verse 11, this is what God says because of his disobedience. I regret that I have made Saul king. I regret ever having anointed him. I regret ever having put him in this place. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet uh, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And, Sa and Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Now, I could just keep on unpacking this. We could go for hours on end, right? So, but I want to just draw out one, one little thing here. Saul had obviously not done what God told him to do because he was supposed to put everything to death. Samuel hears about it. Samuel talks to God. God says, I wish I'd have never made him king. He's not listening to my word. So Samuel goes and finds Saul, and he's like, what have you done? What, are you, what have you done? And Saul's like, what? I didn't do anything. I did what God told me to do. And, you know, you know I, I, love how, I love how the Bible is written because you, you can't make this stuff up. So Samuel is standing here. He's talking. Let, let's, let's do it like this. Uh, let's go. Uh, Robert, come up here for a minute. Ty, you want to help me again? Um, let me pick on somebody else. Kinsley, come on. Come on, Fallon. Yeah, yeah. Come on, hurry up. I, I'm, I'm, I ain't going to have time. Come on, Fallon. Come on. Okay, okay, look. You're going to be a sheep, okay? You're going to be an ox, right? And I'll let you be a lamb, okay? Because lambs are cute. Okay, here. All right, go over there. Go over there. Go over there. Do I have to get on the ground? Nah, well, yeah. Yeah, I do that all fours. Yeah, good idea, Fallon. Yes. Yes. Sheep are always on all fours. No, I'm just kidding. You stand up. You stand up. All right. No, no, you're, you're uh, Saul. Okay, so here it is. Because that's just the way it is. No, that's what it is. So here it is. Samuel, I'll be Samuel. I'll be Saul. No, I'll be Samuel. I'm Samuel, right? This is Saul. He's disobedient. I'm the good one, okay? And, and, and Samuel comes, and he's like, Saul, what's up, bro? You were supposed to kill everything. And you didn't. And Saul's like, what? I did it. Now, as soon as he says, I did it, y'all got to be like, ah, okay, now, <laughs> sheeps go, bah. I think oxen probably go, right? They're more like cows, right? And you were a goat, right? So you're a bad too, okay? <laughs> all right, so, all right, so when he says, yes, I did, we got to have some, some noise, okay? Some sound effects, ready? Saul, bro, what are you doing? You're supposed to kill everything. What? I did it. Bah. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> Liar! <laughs> good job. Good job. Thank you, guys. Here's one principle that I draw out. Great job, guys. I appreciate you Will, be, being willing to embarrass yourself for the Lord. Here's one principle that will come out of that real quick. The things that you want to sit back and rob from God will tell on you. Ain't that the truth? The things that you, the things that you withhold for yourself, when you know that God's not about it, it'll tell on you. It may take a little while, but it'll tell on you. Okay? 
it will tell on you. Be careful. So he's like, what? so what is this? I hit. He says, Saul, you broke the commandment of God. And Saul's like, no, I didn't. Man, I did what God told me to do. Saul, I hear the sheep. Like, I see the sh- You know, you didn't, man. You didn't. But I, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that Saul was convinced that he really did do what God had, had called him to do. Now, deep down, he knew. I think he knew that he was disobedient because he heard. But Saul is a He's pretty much an idiot, right? I mean, if you read, like, I mean, like all of us, I am too. I, I'm guilty. But he's just stupid, right? He does things that's just ignorant. And he's going to have the kingdom ripped out of his hands because he simply just wouldn't do what God called him to do. But here, he's, he's sticking with it, though. Samuel said, Samuel said, then what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul, I, they're right there. No, you didn't. You didn't do what God... And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Now, here it is. Samuel's like, told Saul, God is sad that he even anointed you king. Like, you have made God Almighty be like, well, that was a bad idea. Like, that's what it said. Like, God regretted. Like, you, you caused Yahweh to regret. Like, how has this even happened? We ha- how, Keith, what kind of conversations do we have that God could even possibly regret anything? Like, didn't God already know all of this? But it was so bad that God's like, man, I shouldn't have did that. It is like talking to the other members of the Trinity like, huh? What? Oh, done. Oh, my grammar. I'm sorry. My, my wife, the teacher. I'm not even sure where I messed up. Let's just move forward, baby. We're trudging on. But God's like, I, I wish I wouldn't even have made you. And he's talking to the other members of the Trinity. Be like, did y'all see that coming? Yeah, I saw it coming. It still gets us every time. I wish I wouldn't have done that, right? So he knew. But here, here Saul is, even though he had just been confronted with not obeying, he's just, he just doesn't get it. And I wonder, okay, here's where I want to make the transition from being having a religious spirit and truly i wonder how truly convinced some people are that they do have a relationship with god when really they have no relationship with god whatsoever now let me take myself off of any type of pedestal right now do not allow your mind to think that i'm sitting up here on the ledge like superman with a cape flapping in the wind right i have no idea who's the true christian and who's not the true christian that's not my place to judge right i think we can look at each other and say bro by the fruit that you got sister by the fruit that you got right now i think that you should be concerned i'm concerned about you and out of love i'm saying these things aren't really matching up. Let's pray about this because, and maybe you can talk to me about how this is in line with God's word, but we need to look at these things. That's different than saying, oh, they're not, they're not a believer. You know, so don't hear me saying that. But what I'm saying is I wonder how often it is that we're talking to people and, and they are convinced that they are doing what God is wanting them to do just because they are checking the list, Right. They are doing, you know, well, I paid my time. I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago. Hadn't been to church in months. Hasn't been a part of fellowship in months. Have not been fellowshipping with Christ in months, admittedly so. But the first thing out of their mouth when I taught them, and you, you would think this doesn't have to lie. This is an old school thing. But the first thing out of their mouth when I taught them, I said, well, I've been missing you. And I, and you, I think you can testify to this. I will bug y'all about coming to church because I love you and because I'm worried about you. But I'm not like hammering you, right? I, I missed you. You know, I don't say, you idiot, where you been? You know, I don't do that, right? I say, I miss you. I, I want you to be here. Why? I, you know, because I love you. I want to I see you build your family up. I want to see you be encouraged. I want to I fellowship with you. And the first thing was, well, I've been sending my tithe in online. Why are you sweating me, preacher, Right? And I'm like, tithe? What? I don't care about your money. And I don't, I don't want your money. But that's what, that is the truth. And you say, you're making that up. I promise I'm not making that up, right? If they're watching right now, they probably know who I'm talking about, right? I'm not making that up. They, they say, where you been? I've been missing you. I ain't seen you in months. Well, I've been busy, but I've been tithing. I don't care about the tithe. Keep the money. I want you to come here, right? I want, you, I want to be with you. And so 
But the reason I draw all that up, bring all that up, is because how thoroughly can we convince ourselves that I am doing what God wants me to do when really we're not? Our heart's a million miles from Him, and we're kind of like throwing a, you know, we're, we're throwing him a bone here and there, right? Like, I, I went to church three times last week. What's wrong, preacher? You know, uh, I read my Bible like two weeks ago I read it. I read a whole page, you know. And look, okay, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not coming down on nobody. I'm, I'm asking you are, you, are you walking with God? Are you talking with God? Is he, is, is he talking to you? Are you listening? Are you discerning? Are you in the Word? Are you interacting with God on a daily basis, gathering with the people? And sometimes maybe you do need a weekend. I'm not a day Nazi, okay? Maybe it's that you say, look, man, I got super tied up on Sunday, I had this obligation, I couldn't be there, but it really did hurt my soul that I couldn't meet with the people of God. But you know what, I found me a church on Sunday night, and I gathered with God's people then, or, or I, I, you know, I, I worshiped with, with the men on Wednesday night, and I really hated to be there Sunday, and I don't make a habit of that, but sometimes I got to work, but, but I'm going to find me a way to worship another day, because I want to gather with God's people. I don't th I'm not trying to be legalistic about you being here on Sunday morning. What I'm trying to say is that where's your heart at? Where's your, wh you know, where, where's your passion at? Does it bother you when you don't get to meet with God's people? If you can't be here on a Sunday, do you find a group of, of worship people that you can worship with on a Saturday night or on a Wednesday night or on, on maybe on the Sunday night because you're tied up Sunday morning? And that's fine. Are you gathering with people? Are you gathering with the saints? That's the principle. But here we find that Saul is thoroughly convinced that he is doing what God's calling him to do. He is. He's like, he said... I did this for the people, is basically what he says. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He said, he said, I disobeyed God for God. Did you see it in the text? Do you see it there? He's like, why did, he said, Saul, you disobeyed. Saul's like, I didn't disobey the sheep. Let me hear my sheep. One sheep. Thank you. And Samuel's like, no, you know you didn't. There's a sheep. And Saul's like, oh, oh. Well, you see what happened was, I know God said that, but I kept these, you know, to offer a sacrifice to God later because that made much more sense. Samuel, Samuel says, well, he said kill him. Well, I am, but only you know, later when, when I'm, I'm going to, this is all for God, Samuel. And so again, we see it. We're always trying to justify the sins in our life and the sins of omission and commission. All of these failures in our life, we're trying to justify them as if it's going to provide us a greater way to bless God down the road. Oftentimes we convince ourselves of that. Well, he goes on and says, then Samuel said to Saul, I like this. Samuel says to Saul, stop. Right? Just cut it out. Just shut up. Right? So, and, and that's what I think I would have probably got to. You know, just stop. Just stop. He says, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, this is what Saul said, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Now, what, is it, what he means there when he says, though you're little in your own eyes. Now, we know that in one way, uh, Saul did not think he was little in his own eyes. What did he just do? He set up a monument in, in his own likeness, right, to himself, right? He does what God, partially what God tells him to do. He kills the Amalekites. Then he erects this monument up to himself, right? He thinks he's this big guy. I think what this is meaning here, and that I know you think little of yourself, what it means there is that I know that you don't think what you do matters much in the broad scheme of things as far as obeying me. In other words, I know that you think that these sins won't have that big of an effect. Does, does that make sense to you better now? Because when I read that, I was like, wait, Saul thinks he's larger than life. What do you mean? No, he's saying, I know you don't think it's a big deal that you disobey me in these seemingly small things and obviously he thinks they're small right he's like Samuel I, I did what you told me to do I mean you know I, I tweaked it a little bit but I basically I basically did that and Samuel says listen I know you think it's not a big deal 
but you're the leader of the house of Israel. How about we let that flow down New Testament lines and say, daddies, husbands, I know that you think it's not that big of a deal to not be in your word. I know you think it's not that big of a deal to not know God's word or to not, not spend time in prayer. I know you think it's not that big of a deal to uh, withhold discipline from your children and just let them have what they want because, you know, they only live life one time. When the Bible says train up a child in the way that they should go, when the Bible says to, uh, to spare the rod is to spoil the child, even though the Bible says that children are arrows in the hand of a warrior that's to be sent out, I know, the, I know the Bible says that, God, but it's not that big of a deal. Do you think God might be looking to you and saying, I know you think little of the influence that you have, but do you not know that you are the king of your castle? Do you not know that you are the leader of your own household? Do you not know how big of an impact that you have? He goes on, he says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord's anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. He says, you have a mission, you've been commissioned, you've been sent out, and you need to go and do what you've been called to do because you are the spokesperson, you are the head, you are the one who God has called to do it. And if you fail, it's trouble. He says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. I want you to watch. The moment when, when Saul finally realizes and repents his repentance is not brought about by his love for God and his love for God's word. His, his, his words of repentance are brought about by his potential for losing his power and his money and his influence. His God was never Yahweh. He was his own God in his own eyes. Homage, power, money was to be given to him not to Yahweh. Listen to what it says. Because he's still making the argument, that I did these things, I did these things. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He's still making the excuses that this was all for God. I disobeyed God for God. It was for his benefit that I disobeyed him. You see the, the, the audacity the narcissism that I, I did this because God didn't realize how good it would be if I disobeyed him. God was going to miss out with his plan. I'm going to bless him because I've got a better plan. The, my way is going to really bless God instead of realizing that God's way is going to bless me. And Samuel said, because he says, I'm going to sacrifice these things. Sacrifices is what God wants. Samuel said, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is, is as iniquity and idolatry. Now listen to this. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you. From being king. Your kingship is going to be revoked. Listen to Saul's response. Saul said to Samuel. I have sinned. I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Why did he repent? Now I, I don't know his heart. But why does it seem glaringly obviously that he says. Oh, I, I repent. I repent. Because the kingdom was threatened. And he said, you are going to, God told him, you're going to lose your stuff. He says, you're right, I'm sorry. I sinned. I sinned. You know what that makes me think of? My kids. <laughs> Ella Ray is a trip. She's a trip. So Ella Ray loves food. Okay? Candy. Delicacies, 
milkshakes, anything that can be chewed and swallowed. But she's pretty good. She, she, she takes discipline and she takes commands pretty good. But she's also crafty and sneaky. And so oftentimes, I'll see Ella Ray and, and I can tell because she's a terrible liar, right? Heather says I'm a terrible liar. I'm glad I am. Like, she knows immediately when I'm lying, right? Even if it's like a good lie, like, not, a, not that there's good lies, but like, if I'm trying to hide a gift or if I'm trying to play a joke and I'm, she says my nostrils flare when I'm, so, so I'll be looking at her and I'll be saying something and she says, you're lying. I'm like, how did you know? She's like, your nose, dead giveaway. Well, I walk in and I see Ella Ray and she already knows. Like, I don't, I don't know that she's about to break the commandments of the house. I don't, I don't even know that, right? But she has. She's got a cookie. Let's say it's a cookie. Well, one, she knows it because she's hiding it down here, right? And so I got a cookie, right? But she's like this. And she's taking a bite. And she puts it back. And it's in her mouth. And she sees me. And without me provoking it, I, don't, I still don't know. I don't know. She goes, I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> Has she ever done that with you? And, I, and, and so then I'm like, hmm. And I say, what have you not done? And she said, I'm not eating a cookie. Let me see the cookie, Ellery. And as soon as she realizes, she, she never did realize it, she told him herself. But as soon as she realizes that now I actually know there's a cookie, I just got one. I just got one. Can I have one? Could I, is this okay? You know, she's still chewing and still swallowing. Is it okay? Like, I just had one. And some, most of the time, I'm like, yes. Next time, you better ask, you know? So if I was like God, you know, it might be a lot worse for her. But uh, I have my own sin. And so, but we tell on ourselves and as soon as we're called, we're like, okay, God, I'm sorry. Just don't take my sinful possessions away from me. That's what Saul's doing, right? He's like, please just don't take it away from me. Now, so we see this utter failure of Saul. And I really, you know, I sympathize with Saul because I am Saul, right? You are too. We want to be the hero in the story. So when Robert came up and we did the illustration, which I hope helps you remember some of this, you know, I said, I'm Saul, right? You're, I mean, I'm Samuel, you're Saul, right? We, all, we always want to make ourselves the hero of the story. But in point of fact, we're not. We're all Sauls, right? We all want what we want, right? We all want, the, we, we want what's best for our flesh, what makes us look good, right? What makes our life more comfortable? What makes it fun, more fun, you know, more exciting? And the only way that we're not Saul the only way that we're more of a Samuel, the only way that we can overcome the aspects of the sinful flesh that caused Saul to do what Saul was doing is that we have Jesus Christ as the one who did what Saul wouldn't do. So we see Saul making sacrifices in the stead of obedience when it was obedience that God longed for and was necessary for the people to be blessed like God wanted them to be blessed. So here was the deal. Yahweh commanded Saul to kill everything because Yahweh knew that sin left untamed and left undealt with would creep into the camp and destroy God's people and turn God's people away from worshiping him and that they would want to worship those things. And so this sin was to be completely eradicated, which if Saul would have put Agag to the sword and killed it all where there was no remnant left of sin, then the people would have been blessed and they would have rejoiced and they would have got to enjoy at least for a time uh, a, of, of a season without the influence of sin around them and continually drawing them away and dragging them away but instead Saul made this decision to disobey God claiming that he was going to sacrifice but his sacrifices were worthless because he didn't obey 
Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to draw it to a close right here. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I'm going to read some out of Hebrews chapter 10. You guys can come on up and play a little bit. Um, I need to wrap it on up. This will be a good place to do it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me, in the scroll of the book. Let me pause there for just a moment. We're going to go on a little bit more. I, now, I'm not suggesting that Saul offered these sacrifices in accordance with God's word and the, the Levitical uh, law and the process that they were laid out. The only reason I go here is to show the correlation between sacrifices that were made in an unbiblical way versus the one sacrifice that was made in the biblical way that did what no other sacrifice could do. So here we have him speaking of sacrifices, even that were made in the temple, the way that uh, it was supposed to be done, they were brought in. Not that they were perfect, because the priests offering them was not perfect, but that they followed at least the best that they could, the, the temple rituals and things like that. But even those sacrifices could not do what God was longing to do in removing the sin. But it was only a reminder that they needed uh, God, that sin was continually a part of their life and that they could not get away from the fact that they failed to keep and obey God's law. And so therefore, it pointed forward, it was a shadow of that which was to come. And what was that? It was one who would truly and perfectly keep the law of God, one who would perfectly fulfill every aspect of God's holy word of how people should live if they wanted to be one with God. Every time you see God give a command in the Old Testament or New Testament, wherever, every time you see God give a command, if that command would have been followed perfectly, then there would be no need for redemption in that particular situation. If Adam would not have sinned, Christ would never have had to come. Because the only reason that we need a sacrifice is because sin is a reality in the world. Where there is sin, there must be blood. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not even one. There are none who even seek God. All have gone astray. That we've sinned against God. And because there's sin in the camp, there must be payment. And that payment requires a perfect sacrifice, a perfect, a perfect obedient uh, one to stand in our stead. And whereas Saul offered these sacrifices, we're going to offer these sacrifices for the benefit of the people and to the glory of God, supposedly. Samuel tells him, he says, God doesn't want your sacrifice. It's lame. It's broken. God has no desire of these sacrifices. What does he desire? Obedience. Now, if you and I stop there and we stop at the point where we say, well, I am Saul. I've disobeyed at every turn. I've broken every commandment. The principles. I'm no good. I'm wayward. I have sought to keep things that God has told me to destroy and get rid of. I've sought to keep them 
for my own good and for my own pleasure. I've not walked in the ways of the Lord. What am I going to do, Brandon? I, God, he's looking at, is he looking at me saying, I regret I've ever even made you. I regret I've ever even known you. Well, let's, let's look at the rest of this text and we'll be done. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, for after saying this, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Listen to me, people. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. If you've never been born again, if you've never received the redemption that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will pay for your own sins. You will be the sacrifice that's poured out unto God forever, for all of eternity, continually in flame. But if we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us and His once-for-all sacrifice completed in perfect obedience to the will of the Father fulfills all the law and all of the covenants. And we are credited, we are imparted with His active righteousness. With His righteousness, we are, we are clothed. And so what that means is this is that God justifies you because you are credited with what Christ has done in His obedience. This is, the on, this is why Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Because He trades places with you. You say, I'm broken. He's not. You say, I'm flawed. He's not. You say, I've disobeyed. He's never disobeyed. You say, I've not loved God with all my heart. He has. You see, I know you deserve death. You say, I deserve death. I deserve God to walk out on me. I know you do. And so do I. And the only way that that doesn't happen is the fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and didn't deserve God to walk out on him or to turn his back on him or to forsake him or to kill him on the cross. But because Jesus Christ received your sin and your disobedience and your darkness, God poured out wrath on him on the cross to pay the sin debt that you should have paid. And in return, he takes the righteousness of Christ and he puts it on you so that you can live the life, get the blessing, and get to walk where you should have died. Jesus died so that you could live. Jesus was obedient because you were disobedient. Jesus was light. You are darkness. And when we believe in Christ and when we confess Him as Lord and Savior and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, it's the great exchange. You get His righteousness. He took your punishment. If you've not trusted in Christ today, you need to give your heart to Him. You need to fall down and worship Him, pleading. And I'll tell you this, not only is justification in Christ, but when you are justified in Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit and you're imparted with His likeness and His, and His righteousness, you will start to be conformed to the image of God. And what you'll find is, is that He is doing a great work in you to conform you and to bring about the fruit of the Spirit, which is the fulfillment of the law, fulfillment of the old covenant system, fulfillment of all of this. And you will be who God has called you to be through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand to our feet. If you need to do business with God today, I would plead with you to do that. 
I would ask, we had two people get saved last week because the gospel was proclaimed. The gospel has been proclaimed again today. And I would ask, is there anyone here who has never done business with God in that way? You've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're still stuck in your sins. But no longer do you want to be in your sins, but you want to be saved. Anybody here want to be saved today and submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Anybody? I give you an opportunity. I only pray that that means that all of you are born again. I pray it from the depths of my soul. Let's do business with God. Repentance, thanksgiving, whatever you need to do. Do business with God.